gathered here this evening to join in holy matrimony, Don and William. Tonight I will grant thee eternal life. Dost thou love Satan? I do. Dost thou promise to give him thy hearts and minds? I do. In God's name. In Satan's name. I now pronounce you man and... This podcast got a little bit sidetracked. I don't, it was, it was, you know what? It was the wrong decision to watch all three of the original RoboCop movies and then also the reboot from 2014. I made a mistake, you know? Um, but I'm happy to inform you that uh, this shit is back on track, dude. Let me tell you about the 1986 film, Necropolis, or maybe 1987 or maybe 1989. One of those years, one of those years when, when, when they were just churning out classic films left and right where you probably couldn't fucking throw a rock without hitting a classic film, you know what I mean? Um, the 80s, dude, they knew what they were doing. It's, it was a golden age. Um, Necropolis is a movie about a satanic witch who just does whatever the fuck she wants. That's it. That's the whole fucking movie. Um, it's, okay, we've talked about, on this podcast, we have talked about how valuable it is to keep your fucking movie short, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like 90 minutes is, like, generally understood to be kind of a short movie. This movie, dude, this movie is, like, 77 minutes long, like, it doesn't even, it doesn't even make it to 80 minutes, it is barely past an hour and 15 minutes, um... And honestly, it sort of drags towards the end, but it's, you know, that's great. Unlike the RoboCop movies, which drag for a fucking hour and a half every episode, this movie drags for a little while. And also, after the point when it gets kind of boring, it, like, cool shit starts happening again. You know what I mean? Um, basically, uh, there's a blog. It is one of the best blogs on the internet, as far as I'm concerned. It's called uh, The House of Self-Indulgence, which is basically if this podcast were a blog and then we're also just like a million times better, that's what House of Self-Indulgence is. They just like, the person who runs it, I believe it's a she, um, a she pronoun type person, you know what I mean? You're down with, with gender, right? Um, she just like, I don't know how she has access to all these fucking movies. Um, but she has like every great movie and she just writes about them and she includes like pictures from them. Um, she has like a, her blog is like houseofselfindulgence.com or something, but then also she has like fucking, uh, 
her Tumblr is called radioactivelingerie.tumblr.com and it's mostly just like pictures from these movies and other like weird like kind of uncomfortable to look at like 80s porn stuff and then also like in the last I don't know um the last like maybe year I don't know when it started happening but like I have been a fan of this person's work and I don't even know her name I think on the House of Self-Indulgence website, it says that her name is like Yum, or like Yum Yum, but um, I think that might be a pseudonym. And on her Tumblr, I guess she um, has come out as trans relatively recently, in the last couple years, because she started posting stuff that's tagged transition stuff, and you know, what that means is that in this, like, post-apocalyptic hellscape where it's so hard to find other replicants that you can connect with, I am probably going to get to make friends with the person who runs Radioactive Lingerie and fucking House of Self-Indulgence, right? Which is exciting. I bring all this up specifically just because when Necropolis opens, it says, like, um, like, New Amsterdam 1686 or something is like the subtitle right and on her blog she's like I'm pretty sure that this timing is wrong like I think that New Amsterdam became New York somewhere else I forget exactly what it was but some like pretty like astute fact-checking shit about it right she's like maybe like New Amsterdam wasn't incorporated until after that or something um I don't know look it up I highly recommend looking up that website dude it will make you want to watch every movie um but I guess that all is to say that they may not have done great fact-checking when they made this movie. They may have gotten some specifics wrong in terms of, like, United States history timeline stuff, but it's fine. Who fucking cares, right? It opens with this witch, and in the opening, she's got this, like, amazing, like, big... I guess it's not that big. It's not, like, tall. It's not, like, the higher the hair, the closer to God big hair. Just, like, it's, like, voluminous, right? And it's super, like, cool gray-white. It's, like... She has this great hair that looks like it might be fake. Um, who cares? Hard to know. Um, she's this witch, and she's, like, sneaking off down a... No, she, maybe she's just, like, strolling to the place where she's going to do some cool, like, satanic ritual stuff. Um, and this dude is following her, and, like, by, by his acting, like, using his skills at acting... You can tell that he's like sneaking behind her like he's he, like she doesn't know he's there and he like doesn't want her to know that he's there but it's kind of like he's just like sneaking down the middle of like a well-lit road like it's a little bit goofy to think of this guy being like you know like stealthy as he's following her but she doesn't seem to notice him and then she goes to her like satanic witchcraft lair and there's like at the same time that this is going on I guess there's like a wedding going on and she's like cursing this wedding so she like um she goes to her lair and I forget exactly what happens but she's down there and there's like these like fucking um maybe some other people there and there's this big like light up pentagram right and here's something about the occult that you might know or you might not know um the satanic pentagram is a star with one of its points pointing down, right? Because it's an inverted inverted pentagram, and I'm not an authority on this shit. I, I you know, like many of us, I appreciate metal, and I feel like 
from metal. Sometimes you like look into the occult and you're like, oh, Ozzy's cool, or like, you know, like Satanism in Twisted Sister is cool, so like, maybe I should read like Aleister Crowley or whatever. And you read it and it's kind of just like a bunch of like, I've called it bro-cultism before. It's kind of just like, some of it's kind of interesting, but it's like, compared to how often like, evil books of magic that give you like powers, compared to how often those kinds of things show up in movies, it doesn't happen that much in real life. It's less like that. I mean, some of that stuff is there. A lot of it boils down to kind of like the law of attraction or like honing your will. And I mean, I'm not saying that magic isn't real. Like witchcraft is real as fuck, but like, I feel like the way it tends to be portrayed in movies and like metal albums is maybe not generally super realistic. Anyway, my point is just like, I guess in like paganism or whatever came before paganism because paganism as we conceive of it now is basically like a 20th century invention, I think, with like certain roots in like older pagan traditions with the idea that it like, you know, like, I don't know, like pagan bullshit has been like a tradition for a long time. It's kind of like, a nice story that we tell about it that might not be entirely accurate. Uh, whatever, my whole fucking point is just like this paganism, which is, has its roots in the 20th century or maybe earlier, has like as its symbol the like pentacle or pentagram. I forget what the difference is, it doesn't really matter. Um, it probably matters to some people. Um, in like not evil occultism, the star points up, right? Because the star has five points and they represent like two feet, two hands, and a head, right? Like it's just kind of a symbol about how people are cool or whatever. Um, and in Satanism, we invert that because people are bad, right? Like as Slipknot teaches, people equals shit. Um, and so what's interesting about the beginning of Necropolis when our hero, heroine, I wonder if she has a name. I don't remember if she has a name. When she's like down, like cursing this wedding in her like cool basement, like evil lair, um, she has an, uh, her, her pentagram is pointing upward. It is like the non satanic version, right? Which is cool. I mean, maybe that's cool. It's actually not cool. I don't think that's cool. I think if she's gonna be evil and she's evil, she's reprehensible. She's like kind of portrayed as irredeemable. Um, you would expect her to have that pointing down, maybe there was a reason they chose to have it pointing up. I, I, it's hard to say. Anyway, she, uh, she goes down there and she's cursing this wedding by doing this like sick as fuck, like eighties aerobics dance. Like it is very much not how we generally portray the 1600s in film. You know what I mean? Like, um, if you ever get high and start thinking about like how everything you know about the 1600s is mostly from like movies that were made in like the 1900s and that like maybe there's a grain of truth there but like probably you don't actually know shit about what it was like like what it looked like or felt like or like what the vibe was in like 1686 so like maybe there was a lot of like very aerobic satanic ritual dancing in 1686. Maybe there wasn't. There isn't really a way for us to know. I mean, there probably actually is a way for us to know. I bet historians have a good sense of this stuff. My point is just like, it's pretty rad to see her like doing this like wild aerobic dancing and like this wedding that is going on, like she like is cursing this like woman and I think the like bride of at the wedding dies and then 
the like the guy who was chasing her or who was like sneakily following her down to her lair like makes her stop cursing the wedding somehow like he like interrupts it and then she's like fuck you guys like hold on I think I have the quote written down what she says um she's like I will seek my revenge right so they don't kill her like they just interrupt this ritual and she's like I will seek my revenge and then they like cut to fucking 300 years later and we like see her with these like amazing like lace tights and a like super short like tight black mini skirt and like the tights are like a bodysuit like they like she's not wearing like an actual shirt she's just got like the like you know like the bodice part of the tights for a shirt and she's riding this like sick ass like motorcycle um and let me tell you i i shouldn't look at house of self-indulgence uh, posts about movies before I talk about the movies on these podcasts because another thing I learned like because otherwise like fucking yum or I guess yum I guess when somebody says their name is yum you just call them yum yum like posted this thing where like she knew exactly what the like make and model of the motorcycle was and then linked to IMCDB which is like you know IMDB it's like where we learn about like movies um uh, I want to say IMCDB is like International Motorcycle Database or like it's like International like Movie Vehicle Database but that's a V instead of a C whatever the fuck it is it turns out there's an IMDB just for vehicles in movies and you can look this movie up on IM something DB and find out what the motorcycle is but the point is just like it's like a like a sick 80s cool like spaceship looking motorcycle you know what I mean it's not like there have been a few motorcycles on this podcast, huh? Prince, I think, probably had the best one in Purple Rain. Um, Robocop in 2014, like 2014 Robocop movie sucked, but Robocop had a, mo a motorcycle that looked just like him and that was cool, but like, honestly, dude, the witch from, from Necropolis in her like, <laughs> her like stilettos and tiny leather skirt and like not that much more clothes on like a futuristic 86 motorcycle is like pretty badass and then we just like we just watch her like on the motorcycle for while like while the song plays where the song is like they just keep like it's not just the word rock but they say the word rock so many more times than you would expect them to um I don't know it's like it's a rock song it's a pretty good rock song there's like cool keyboards and guitars and she's just like cruising on this motorcycle like total badass and she goes to New York and one of the interesting things is that like did she die and she was reincarnated like did did they like after we cut away from the like good guys interrupting her her satanic dance ritual um did they kill her or did she kill them or did she leave and like, I don't know, like hang out for 300 years and then decide to get revenge on those assholes' descendants? Like, it's a little bit unclear, but also who fucking cares, right? Because one of the things we talk about when we talk about plot is how you can have plot set up in a way that's, structu that's like structured so that like one thing leads to another. Like in one scene, you like get this piece of information or you get this like 
thing that happens to a character that leads you to the next scene, right? That's kind of the classic way of propelling a plot. Um, either something good happens or something bad happens and then our characters need to respond to that thing that happened in that scene, right? But there's another really important way of making a movie compelling, which is just to have badass shit happen, right? Like, we cut to the present relative to this movie. Um, oh shit, we are stuck behind a truck somehow. Why? Even after the fucking apocalypse, traffic in LA sucks, dude. Um, what was I talking about? Uh, fucking she... Oh, yeah, so, you know, the scene in which we are introduced to our, our hero, our heroine, um, and her motorcycle doesn't necessarily follow from the previous scene. It, like, doesn't necessarily, there's, I mean, I guess it's like a cliffhanger that then we, like, follow up on. Who fucking knows? You know what I mean? But it doesn't matter, because she's on that bike, and that rock music is playing, and you're like, fuck yes. And so... She goes to this, like, witchcraft store, and there's this dude who I think is played as, like, an immigrant, and she, like, kills him with some kind of, like, psychic, like, murder noise, and, like, I want to, so I've never, I've never done, like, maple syruping thing. Uh, when I lived in Vermont, on the other side of the country, there's a thing that people do at some time of year, maybe in the spring where they, they put like taps into a tree, right? And then like it like sucks the sap out and then you make maple syrup out of it. And it seems like if you put that tap into a tree and immediately like a bunch of like relatively like not viscous liquid came out, just like kind of like gushed out, like it seems, I don't think that's what actually happens, right? Sap is actually pretty viscous. But if that was what it was like, that's like what it's, it's pretty abstract metaphor, but I don't know a better one. What if you tapped a, what if you put a hole in a beer can? No, cause that's like carbonated. All the beer would like shoot out. The point is just, once she has killed this guy who runs the witchcraft shop, she's like, give me that ring. And he's like, what ring? I don't have a ring. And she's like, you have the ring. And he's like, what ring? And she's like, give me the ring. And then she kills him. Um, I forget when exactly she gets the ring. I forget if he had it or what. She winds up getting the ring. Spoiler, she gets the ring. It has a pentagram on it also. Um, I guess on a ring. Whoa, here's a powerful witchcraft fact. What if a ring had a pentagram on it and by nature of it being a ring, you could wear it one way or the other and relative to how you were holding your hand, it could be either evil or not evil. That is a layer of meaning in this movie that I didn't even think about. Um, anyway, she basically, she like, she fucking like taps this dude's forehead and like, I guess what is supposed to be his soul comes out. It's like slime. It's like, uh, relatively like watery slime that comes out. And I think she like eats it and then leaves him in a refrigerator. And then she goes and there's like a wall with a very inexpensive looking sign that says community center on it. And we cut to this like cool like NPR scene where this woman is interviewing this priest who like, who looks conspicuously like the dude who was following uh, our heroine, kind of conspicuously following her. Um, as if he were a descendant of hers. He's like 
a priest now and he's like giving this like NPR woman an interview about like his work working with like at-risk youth and there's this like tough guy like kind of like young Robert De Niro-y character who's like who's there who's or maybe she kills someone and then no that's what happens I forget who she kills she doesn't kill the NPR lady she doesn't kill no here's what she does holy shit there's this kid who has been he was like a drug addict and then he got clean she like uses her evil powers to make him feel like he is like addicted to drugs again and then detoxing and this way that's actually kind of hard to watch it's like not that fun I feel like you know there are fun kinds of horrible things that people do in movies and there are like awful kinds and like sometimes a great movie will include a scene that's hard to watch that maybe they could have done differently but you're not in charge of it because you were fucking like six when this movie came out or whatever um she makes this kid sort of have like what feels to him like he's like dope sick or whatever um and then maybe he dies from it and that's why the police come and so there's this like it's like butch cop femme cop in this way that's kind of nice there's this like young like tough guy De Niro cop who's there who's like we're gonna get to the bottom of this shit because I'm like a tough guy don't take any shit New York cop and then the other cop is this like super he's not like flamboyant he like has like he's like kind of bald and he's got like a scruffy beard in a way that like doesn't scan as like put together you know what I mean he's just kind of like rumpled maybe but he's got such a a kind of like like campy or like fey or like just the way he talks is like not only he does he have like a high voice it's you know what it is it's what J Michael Bailey would call the gay voice he's got J Michael Bailey's gay voice um if you haven't read the man who would be queen uh the book in which J Michael Bailey informs us that the gay voice isn't something he can put his finger on but you know it when you hear it and means that somebody might transition it's a great book. It's totally worth your time. I, I, I mean, you know, honestly, I've been struggling with irony lately because I feel like there's this really intense layer of irony to this podcast that, like, isn't the only thing that's going on, but sometimes you just get lost about, like, what do I actually care about? And, like, if you're trans and you, like, want to, like... Um, like engage with that but you you like the world that you live in has like presented that as not an option so you learn not to engage with this thing that you like need to engage with before you can engage with anything else and so you just like don't learn to engage with anything else in a real way like it fucks up your ability to know like where you stand with things like what you like and don't like like sort of how to desire you know what I mean like what is a safe desire versus what is an unacceptable desire and like when it feels like desires are unacceptable to the point that they're like preemptively uh like cut off or like you know what I mean like you just like it doesn't occur to you to give a fuck about something and so like all you can really give a fuck about is these like pretty shallow things like <sighs> it fucks you up I guess my point is just I am being ironic. No, I'm not being ironic. When I say that The Man Who Would Be Queen by J. Michael Bailey is a great book that you should read, I'm, I guess what I'm saying is you probably want to read that shit on an ironic level and, like, that feels complicated when you're talking about a movie like Necropolis. Um, 
there would be easy, easy to be like, oh yeah, I only like, why would you watch that except on an ironic level? Because it's like bad, right? And I like love bad things. And I don't feel like that's how I feel about Necropolis. Like there, I, whatever. If there's a fucking ongoing subtest, subtext to this fucking podcast, it is that like liking shit on a purely, or like caring about things on a purely ironic level is kind of bullshit. But there can be an ironic level that also you go deeper than to find like what's important or like what like actually is resonant about like storytelling that is not sort of like stories about like cis people problems. You know what I mean? Like I think we've even talked about this on the podcast before. Just the thing of like you know when you want to watch normal movies and get stoked about them but you can't give a fuck about them because it just seems like cis people problems that like you don't even know how like to engage with because you're so like fucked up and disconnected I don't know my point is just uh there's butch cop fem cop and I think fem cop probably gets killed because that's what happens when you're fem cop right like butch cop is going to be the hero and fem cop is going to get killed um but we love him. He's like, he's like super campy. He's got J. Michael Bailey's quote unquote gay voice, but he's also got just a super, like, I feel like he's like, I forget what specifically he says, but he does a lot of like, just like, like you almost expect him to be calling like men, like Mary and like her, you know what I mean? He's this very like sort of a uh, sort of camp character in a way that you just, you just want more of him in the movie. Um, they come and investigate this kid's death and um what happens after that then we establish that I guess like NPR lady and like butch cop are the heroes of the film and so we're gonna kind of follow them as they try to unravel the mystery and while that stuff is happening we learn that the satanic witch our heroine whose name I don't remember um lives underground in the titular Necropolis and the Necropolis by the way I was led by Neil Gaiman's Sandman comics to believe that a Necropolis would be like a city of the dead slash undead and it would be kind of epic um I guess there are a lot of ways to do a Necropolis right but in the and the only reason that I know that this underground Necropolis is the Necropolis is from like the like taglines of the movie or like maybe the like description on the video cassette case or whatever like I don't know if anybody ever says we have to go to the necropolis or like this thing under the city is the necropolis um she goes down to this necropolis where it turns out she's been stealing people's souls right by like tapping their foreheads I guess she eats them like or like like you know like absorbs them into her body then she grows two extra boobs so that she's got six boobs and then there are these cool monsters and it was kind of unclear to me whether these monsters were the people that she had killed, like the like immigrant dude who owned the witchcraft store and femme cop, or whether they were like just monsters who live in the necropolis. I still don't feel like I know, but she's got these monsters that live in the necropolis with like, you know, like cool monster makeup faces and stuff. And she just fucking suckles them, dude. They like, they like roll up to her six boobs and like, eat the life force of the people that she's killed from them like there's a scene where there's like gross special effects where we like cut to her face and then we cut to her chest and her chest is all like plastic and clay looking because it's like 80s like practical effects you know it's like pretty gross and awesome um it looks kind of like she's got a six pack but it's like higher on her chest and made out of boobs instead of 
like abs, like a six pack is usually made out of. Um, anyway, that's cool. That's like a great thing to put in your movie. And then, I don't know, stuff happens. Like the priest, I think, winds up getting killed, probably. And then they kill her, right? And you're like, dude, we still got like 20 minutes left in this movie. How are you gonna kill our heroine? But they have killed her and uh, like, but here's the thing, they chop off her hand, right? And here's the thing about her hand, it is wearing the pentagram ring, right? And so very satisfyingly, you get a lot of like, dis or like chopped off like hand crawling around and killing people stuff. Um, and NPR reporter lady is in bed. I think she just had sex with Butch Cop. Butch Cop is in the shower just like chopped off pentagram ring hand like makes its way across the bed to her neck and you're like oh it's gonna choke her to death like that's what like evil disembodied hands do and but then like we see that she hasn't been choked to death or like maybe she hasn't been choked to death because she like the hand like shows up and it starts choking her and she's screaming and fucking butch cop like gets out of the shower and he comes and he's like what's up and she's like oh nothing i'm fine never mind and then um it turns out that I think, I feel like she kills Butch Cop and then it's just NPR reporter lady as possessed by cool satanic witch. Like the movie ends with, with like our heroine winning. Cause I mean, she got killed, right? But she, then she rose, she like, wasn't dead anymore. It's some, it's some fucking Joseph Campbell shit, dude. It's some fucking hero's journey as far as I'm concerned. Um, so that's how it ends. I just realized I skipped this part and I should have told you about it because it sucks. It's like one of the bummer parts that you want to get out of the way before, um, before you get to the triumphant finale. But, um, there's a trio of sex workers who have a pimp who like, um, she doesn't do a great job with. Like, I feel like our heroine, she doesn't do a great job with homosexuality. She has a bad attitude towards homosexuality. And then I feel like she, like, brings out some, like, shameful lesbian stuff in somebody at one point using her, like, psychic, like, noise powers. Um, and she's also just, like, mean and, like, doesn't get along with these three sex workers who, like, dude, that's, like, who you want to be friends with. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of counterintuitive for me, but I guess maybe, I don't know. She like, she can make bad decisions. Sometimes that makes our like protagonist more likable. You know what I mean? I mean, not really in this case, but I don't know. I, I wish she had made friends with the sex workers. Um, also the pimp is basically like, he's like, you girls got to make some money. And they're like, yeah, like fuck off. And he's like, no, nah, you've got to do some like, like Rhonda Byrne, like the secret, like, law of attraction shit so that you can make some money. Um, which I guess is good advice. Like, it's interesting because I feel like that law of attraction shit, like Rhonda Byrne or whatever, is that her name? You know, The Secret, that book and apparently documentary or movie or something. That law of attraction shit is actually pretty old, like, occult stuff. Like, that might even, I forget where I read about it. Some wingnut brocultist writing about how, like, hey, like, y'all actually, you know, this, like, shit is, goes back to the Bible or, like, fucking the Torah or something. Um, so that's a shame. 
it's also worth talking about the fashion in this movie for a second. Um, she mostly wears that like bodysuit and leather skirt outfit, but then she has a couple other great outfits. Um, the main one towards the end that she's wearing is it's basically like that bodysuit, but also um, she's wearing like a like transparent like black like tutu like petticoat skirt thing as we've talked about this was like kind of an 80s cool fashion staple um maybe not staple for everyone but like definitely like a good look you know what I mean she's wearing like stilettos and like lace tights <laughs> like you know like none of it is like actually clothes like it's mostly just like things that you'd probably file under underwear it's a really good look um and what else? What else can I fucking tell you about this movie that is like a hundred times better than fucking Robocop in every single conceivable way? Um, I guess that's it. She spends a lot of time dancing, like doing like evil, like witchcraft dancing. Um, there's a point where she like wants to open up a lock that's holding a door closed that she wants to go through. Um, so she just like grabs it and then it explodes. Like that's pretty cool. Um, I don't know, man. Maybe I don't have a conclusion for you. Maybe this movie just fucking rules and maybe this podcast is once again back the fuck on track and we are going to stay the fuck away from Paul Verhoeven movies and Paul Verhoeven associated movies and fucking RoboCop. But guess what? I was going to end on that note. I was going to be like, and fucking RoboCop. And then like cut to the like closing theme song. But you know what? I don't even want to end by talking about RoboCop. I want to end by talking about... Such a long pause and I don't even... Like it's not even... I was just going to say Necropolis and then end it, but... Then I was I like I was like maybe it'd be funny if I dragged this out. It wasn't. Alright, truck nuts and dick holes. That's it. Imogen Benny on Twitter. This song is by People Watching. That other song was by Gorgon. Fuck capitalism and fuck your internalized colonizer mindset. See ya. Turn the Charles and Roxy.